Welcome to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, where every JoJo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 18, and we're reviewing part two, Battle Tendency, Von Stroheim's Revenge. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime, so you've been warned. The title is a huge spoiler, though. Jesus Yeah. <laughs> Way to just tell us right out of the gate. Before we even watch the episode, you just look at the title and you know what's up. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, we do want to share a quick announcement. Um, we did something pretty cool recently, and we had a collaboration with another podcast. We had a guest appearance on Anime Headliners, and we talked all about joseph joestar which is perfect <laughs> of course it's perfect for you um and for anyone who is going to listen in on that episode courtney basically provides a whole research paper and thesis on why <laughs> joseph is the best jojo which for me is up for debate because i've i flip-flop between joseph and jotaro but it's still a great discussion especially with uh steve and fa the co-hosts of anime headliners yeah we really appreciate them having us on and it was awesome to talk about joseph again he's my favorite jojo but it's also very timely and appropriate for strictly jojo because we're in the middle of our part two battle tendency review series so it was fun to kind of bring things full circle i mean everything about joseph is fresh in our heads because we've been watching part two over these last several weeks and it was fun just to talk about everything he does in part two and part three, and part four, and just the overall impact that he has on the JoJo universe. And also, we were talking with two people who are across the pond uh, in Joseph's home country, so that was also very interesting. Yeah, it all came together perfectly. So if you're interested in listening, you should definitely check it out. It's episode 37 of Anime Headliners. They're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, and many other podcast services. So check out Anime Headliners episode 37 to see our guest appearance. And so now back to the episode at hand, Von Stroheim's Revenge. As we said, this episode, the title itself was just a huge spoiler because even going from the preview from last episode, there was no indication that Stroheim was going to appear in this episode from my recollection. Yeah, and I mean, why even call it Von Stroheim's Revenge? Because the majority of the episode is focused on ACDC and Susie Q. And Stroheim doesn't even show up until, like, literally the last, like, I mean, I, to be fair, I know he's there during the train scene, but, like, his reveal isn't until literally the last moment of the entire episode. So why even title it that? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other things that happen in this episode. I would say it's half, like, a closure of Joseph and ACDC's fight and half beginning of the end, I guess, with the group now having to face off against the remaining Pillarmen. And it's also just very ambiguous who Von Stroheim is getting revenge on here. Because um, obviously, like, the last time we saw him, it was him facing off against uh, Santana. Yeah. Um, but like, as we all know, like, spoiler alert, Von Stroheim does end up uh, being on the good side of things. So it's implied from that that he's getting revenge on the Pillarmen. Um, but yeah, just a weird title to put in a quote-unquote transitional episode. It should be called Susie Q's Revenge or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, this episode takes us out of the, fully out of the training arc and into, as you said, the, I guess the battle arc. 
like the actual battle arc. Like I know the you already. The battle tendency. Yeah, the battle tendency. Yeah. Joseph has a tendency to battle everyone, apparently. Um, and I, I know that he's fought Santana. He's fought um, Straight So. He's fought ACDC up until this point. But the real battle arc starts with his encounter with Wamu, which we'll get to in a, a few episodes. Um, so I think that this is a, a nice transitional episode that, again, closes kind of one chapter in Joseph's story and starts the next one. And, of course, you can't forget about the plot. The plot. We get the first <laughs> plot of JoJo's Bizarre the Adventure. first major plot reveal. <laughs> and that is done by Lisa Lisa in the bathroom. <laughs> and to that point, you know, it's nice that, I guess, I don't know if it's nice, but in this episode we do get a lot of, you know, Joseph's lady killing skills and a bit of his dirty mind. Yeah, so a getting that, a actually. Yeah, reintroduction to that was, was a treat. But let's go ahead and jump right into this summary for part two, episode nine, Von Stroheim's Revenge. In this episode, as I mentioned, we get some major plot reveals from Lisa Lisa, if you know what I mean, as she takes a hamon bubble bath awaiting the arrival of Joseph and Shiza. The jockey Joestar has a flirt session with Suzy Q before ascending the tower to Lisa Lisa's free peep show, and discovers that Suzy Q has somehow made her way into Lisa Lisa's quarters. Turns out that ACDC's brain dislodged from Josephu's back and gained nerves of steel, that's S-T-E-A-L, having possessed Suzy Q's body and forcing it to ship Lisa Lisa's super hot fire Asia over to mainland Venice whilst intending to kill off our Hamon heroes. Shiza joins Josephu in combining Hamon powers to force ACDC's brain out of Suzy Q's body whilst doing her minimal harm and the Pillarman's remains dissolve in the bright Italian sun. Lisa Lisa learns from her milk toast maid that the super hot fire Aja has been shipped to St. Moritz in Switzerland, awaited by the two remaining Pillarmans. Joseph who promises Suzy Q that he will return to her one day as he, Shiza, Lisa Lisa, and Messina catch up to the cargo train shipping the stone, though Lisa Lisa gives a pretty ominous look that implies this guy's probably going to be fucking toast. As the Swiss Dust Crusaders reach the train at customs, a silhouetted German commander claims the super hot fire Aja for themselves, but invites the crew to their hair BNB in order to grill them more about the stone. Later on, Kars attacks the soldiers in one of the lodge's rooms, but misreads the heat signature of the German commander, who reveals himself to be the cyborg-human hybrid and survivor of the muscular man from Mexico's malevolent massacre, Metal Gear Stroheim. And now onto our next segment of the show, is that a music reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music. But there's none Zip, nada, zilch. Because we talked about Suzy Q in a previous episode, right? Yeah, she appeared, I want to say, yeah, the the very, or the last episode that we watched. So we already talked about her. Um, so yeah. yeah, there's not much else that I saw from this episode. Well, then it means it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And I have one, and it's a big one. It is our boy, Joseph Joestar, saying, nice, while peeping on his mom. <laughs> uh, this is a big one. It's used, I don't know, in a variety of ways all over the place. And it's just even funnier knowing that the context behind it is that he's peeping unlo- unknowingly on his own mother. It's just more Oedipus complex from Joseph. He, um, I, I feel like this meme plays very nicely into his personality. He's got a, a lot of great memes, but something about this one just really is a Joseph meme. You can't see any other JoJo pulling off this meme. 
Especially when he's looking at the camera and he has his, his arm up in like a victory pose. I know. He's like breaking the fourth wall in that whole scene. It's kind of weird. Like he's telling us that he's not going to go into the room while she's bathing because, you know, she asked to give uh, 30 minutes before that. But he's like, I'll still take a look. And then he's like, ho, 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 ho. <laughs> <laughs> I can't a, do it. I'm not a voice actor. That was but a great reenactment. <laughs> I'm no uh, Sugita. What is it? Sugita? Tomokazu, Tomokazu Sugita. I is thought it was right? Sugita Tomokazu. <laughs> I mean, however you want to arrange the the Japanese name. <laughs> He's one of my favorite voice actors, and I can never remember his full name for some reason. Like Daisuke Ono, no problem. Kensho Ono, no problem. Yeah, like the the Ono who does Josuke's voice, no problem. <laughs> but yeah, I cannot remember Tomokazu Sugita's name. I'll get it one of these days. Actually. He's been appearing in a lot of the stuff we've been watching. I know you've been watching a lot of Gintama. I've been so. <laughs> binging the shit out of Gintama. Side note, um, I'm almost done with the first part of Gintama, that first 201 episodes. I'm probably like nine away. And by now, it's it's so weird to jump from Gintama into Jojo Part 2 because it's both, you know, his voice acting performances. But I feel like for anyone who's watched Gintama... The way he portrays Gintoki is very much like lazy and like apathetic and more of like a low toned voice. And then Joseph is very much like high pitched, energetic, you know, very ridiculous. I mean, both of them are pretty ridiculous. So it's it's not too bad because he has two distinct performances, but it is very, very odd. It's kind of like when we were watching Attack on Titan mm -hmm. and then we're like also watching My Hero and... Aaron Yeager and Todoroki oh, now yeah. sound the same. No, like <laughs> yeah. major spoilers or anything, but like now they sound the same. So it's mm -hmm. weird going from one to the other. Yeah, and I would say like the other thing that Tomokazu Sukita is in right now, he has, doesn't have a prominent role in it, but he's in Uramichi Onisan. Uh, Which, if you're not watching Uramichi Onisan, you are missing out. It's mm -hmm. so good. Yeah, he plays one of the more minor characters, but like he still has an impact. Um, just not just from his voice, but just from the way he portrays his character in that show. He's really good with goofy characters. Like that's his mm -hmm. forte and he does a great job. But now into the actual episode. Let's start from the very beginning again with the plot. Let's talk about the, the plot. The thick plot. We're going to talk about the plot. Like, let's do this. Why not? They make it so prominent <laughs> the whole first half of the episode. Let's talk about the plot. Um, so, yeah, Lisa Lisa just strips in front of Susie Q, which I guess maybe back in the day, that's cool. That happens. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like um, the the men or like men now who went to high school back in like the 60s, 70s, 80s and, and just stripped like, naked, naked in, yeah, the, in the locker rooms. Yeah. And then whipped each other, whipped each other with towels. I assume based on <laughs> like you each know, each other with their. Dick. <laughs> they were doing dick whipping contests, <laughs> yeah. but like, and for me, I want to bring this up because Lisa, Lisa, I love you and all. Like you're one of my favorite female characters in JoJo, but that towel is definitely big enough to wrap around your whole body instead of just exposing your backside. Why are you standing there the entire time, knowing that one of the most like difficult enemies that you're going to face? Is possessing your is Susie Q like her maid or her like yeah or like her assistant, her assistant. Or, yeah. Um, and the whole time you're just standing there half ass naked, literally, literally. I'm like that towel is long. Just turn it horizontally and wrap it on your body. She doesn't have time to worry about covering up. She has to focus on the threat at hand. Well, she can't fight the threat at hand when <laughs> she's holding her towel with two arms. Yeah, I, I guess. Although, like, 
I'll maybe talk about this here, but that, that whole fight was just them standing and talking anyways. It was. Very similar <laughs> to ACDC and Joseph's fight in the previous episode. Yeah, but even that, like, that had a lot more action pieces. This is just them strategizing while ACDC is just Fucking toying up yeah. Suzy Q. Yeah. Well, speaking of Suzy Q, when she, so backing up, um, after she leaves the, the bedroom, the bathroom, whatever that room is that Lisa Lisa's taking a bath in, she goes downstairs and she runs into Joseph. And Joseph calls out to her and she gets startled because she doesn't recognize him without his mask. And then they flirt and then the rest is history. Because as you know, if you've watched JoJo, that becomes his future wife, which is just fun to have that nice little scene between the two of them. Um, but he did call her an idiot for yelling. <laughs> like right off the bat, he's like, you're an idiot. Well, she didn't. Yeah. It's weird that she said she doesn't recognize him without the mask because like, he has that distinct hairstyle. And his distinct, voice. Yeah, build his voice. But yeah, it was, it was just a, a very, very cute moment between the both of them. Um, and you get more hints of that uh, later on in the episode. But I wanted to backtrack a little bit more with Suzy Q. Um, Wait, before you do that, <laughs> let, let's just finish this out, the whole flirtatious thing. So I do want to call it one thing from this moment. While we're on the subject of the two of them flirting, Joseph mentions um, the Redstone of Aja, right? Like, you know, we got to tell Lisa Lisa about this. And Susie Q's like, what about her stone? Like, I don't, I don't see what, I don't, I don't get what the issue is. Mm-hmm. And then he realizes, he says, never mind, you're not a Hamon user, no need to worry about it. And I think this is, this is interesting because this is very similar to how Joseph keeps Susie Q in the dark when he travels to Egypt with Jotaro in part three. Mm-hmm. And it's to keep her, like he specifically says, it's to keep her from stressing or worrying. And then in part four, mm. <laughs> he does the same thing when he doesn't tell Susie Q about Josuke because that'll definitely stress her out and make her worry. <laughs> yeah, like how it, they planted, or Araki just planted this little seed about Joseph's tendencies with Susie Q, even in this brief moment where they're they're flirting. Yeah, he knew. He knew. <laughs> The only thing I was going to say about Suzy Q earlier, this is just a small aside. Um, she brings out blouses for Lisa Lisa to wear, but like I th- we get more of Lisa Lisa's inner dialogue as, as Suzy Q's talking about these blouses. And <laughs> I wrote in my notes, this is like that Family Guy meme where Peter, I think, goes back to third grade or something. And <laughs> there's like a show and tell thing going on. But he said, oh, my God, who the hell cares? <laughs> that, was the, that was what I was thinking the whole time that Suzy Q is talking about which blouse should Lisa Lisa wear. I think the intent of that, though, is to show that she's a very, like, simple person, very sweet. Simple-minded. Simple-minded. <laughs> um, like, she's just a very kind young girl. And I think that's important for us to establish before she gets possessed by ACDC because... Mm um like they they take the time to do that to show her personality and then you get like a 180 basically when acdc possesses her so it it helps to make us as the audience feel more uncomfortable and more upset for her seeing how such a sweet person could be like ripped to shreds basically and burned from the inside out by this like terrible pillar man okay that's my assumption anyway no i can i can see that more because if not for that context it's just like 30 seconds of listening to this girl trying to figure out what would look nicer on her on her master or whatever you want that relationship to be between her and lisa lisa is so after okay so now like jumping ahead after the flirting scene 
Susie Q gets possessed, right, and gives the stone to the fairy to send it out to the, fa- <laughs> the, the f- boat, the boat, thought, the fairy, yeah, like and then fairy, that goes yeah. to <laughs> not the fairy with wings and yeah. a wand, but the fairy, the boat, which then goes to the train, right? Mm-hmm. So the timing here doesn't quite make sense to me because she didn't get possessed until after her chat with Joseph, right? Like where they're flirting, she sees part of like ACDC's veins stick out, and she she's very shocked by it, but then brushes it off. They go their separate ways, and Joseph says, "Oh, suddenly my my shoulders feel." don't feel stiff anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's the moment she gets possessed. But she had already left Lisa Lisa's room and went downstairs prior to that. Right. So did she take the stone while she was still conscious? How did she get the stone? I feel like this is like a plot hole because that means she consciously stole the stone from Lisa Lisa and brought it downstairs with her and then got possessed by ACDC, who was like, oh shit, you've got the stone. Well, let's just send that bad boy out to Switzerland. I can't recall if there was a specific shot of you know, while Lisa Lisa was undressing where she put the stone on like the side table next to her. She did. So that was the first thing she took off was the stone. Mm-hmm. And then they started talking about the blouses. And then that's when Lisa Lisa got naked after. But the stone was still on the table. Technically, we didn't get a shot of Susie Q taking the stone at that part at that point. But based on the way these events are unfolding, you can only assume that she actually did take the stone with her when she was conscious. Like, why would she take the stone? And if if she asks Joseph, like, what is the red stone of Asia, right? No, so she knows what the stone is. Oh. She's just like, what about it? Like, oh, what, what okay. do you need to say about it? But no, this is my whole point. Like, Susie Q probably wouldn't take the stone. Right. She has no need to. She doesn't understand the importance behind it. So I think here is like, it's not an Iraqi forgot moment, but I think it's like an Iraqi screwed up moment mm-hmm. <laughs> because the, the timing of everything is off. It should have been Joseph and and... Susie Q flirt and then she gets possessed goes upstairs to help Lisa Lisa with her bath and then comes back downstairs I don't know but then again after all of that she just ends up in the room and we don't know how she even gets there but somehow the door handle is now covered in slime you know which Joseph was standing in front of the whole time my assumption was ACDC probably took her body and like jumped from the the ground floor up to the balcony when Lisa Lisa wasn't looking but then there's slime on the door handle so how would that have worked the whole thing is like the writing here is very off and I know I'm overanalyzing it, but I'm also like, this doesn't make sense. No, yeah. Because again, by the logic, she, if she would have had to have gotten possessed by ACDC first, climbed back up the tower, stolen the stone again without Lisa Lisa noticing, brought it back down to the boat, then climbed back up the tower for Lisa Lisa to have noticed her acting strangely. But then Joseph was standing. Joseph saw her at the boat, turned around, yeah. went to the door, never left the front of the door. But then suddenly the door has slime insinuating she touched the door in order to enter the room. So that's why I was like, well, maybe ACDC being the, the powerhouse that he is just took her body and jumped up onto the balcony when Lisa Lisa wasn't paying attention. But that still doesn't explain the slime on the door handle. I don't fucking know. This hurts my head <laughs> thinking about it. This is kind of like the whole coffin, the Dio coffin thing. Oh, God, like from a, part one to part three. Yeah, it's just that dangling thing that never gets addressed. You know what? We'll talk about that when it gets here, and we'll also make our brains hurt at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but for now, we'll just ponder what Araki was thinking. After Joseph realizes that um, Susie Q's been possessed, he enters the room. And after he enters the room, you know, with Lisa Lisa being butt naked and all that stuff, Caesar shows up. And his first reaction is that he's so happy his friend is okay. And I thought it was so cute. I'm like, oh, my God. Caesar's just so happy that his friend's alive because, you know, he fought ACDC and he couldn't go help him. But where, where the fuck has he been this whole time? I know. How long did it take him to get back to Lisa Lisa? 
Because right, they were, he was up on that tower with uh, Messina watching Joseph's fight, and now it's it's daybreak. Like, what have you been doing? Like the what three four hours in between? And or no, yeah, no. Messina it's like specifically told Caesar, "There's not enough time for you to go help Jojo or Joseph. You have to go down to Lisa Lisa." So Caesar got a like very much an advanced uh, or a head start there, getting back to Lisa Lisa, but shows up significantly after Joseph does. But anyway, he's happy to see his friends alive. That's great. But then he like does a 180 when he goes into the room, sees Lisa Lisa naked and yells at Joseph saying, what are you doing peeping on our sensei? <laughs> it's just so funny that like he goes from being so happy for Joseph to like immediately scolding him for something he didn't even really do. I mean, to be fair, he did peep. He did peep. But like there's nothing else going on beyond that. But then... Joseph corrects him and he says, "No, not not her. Look at Susie Q." Yeah, and then Susie Q. This is like one of my one of my favorite parts of this whole episode. It's really minor, but it's just so stupid because Caesar just gets there. Like he just shows up. He's here. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. He's happy that Joseph's alive, and now he's confused as to why his teacher is naked. And Susie Q is crying, saying, "Caesar, they're 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 ganging up on me. They're being mean to me." And then the second someone calls it calls ACDC out, he like switches his face, right? He jumps up and just clocks Caesar in the fucking face with Susie Q's foot. Like, dude, he just got here. He has no fucking idea what's going on. And he just gets socked in the face with her shoe. <laughs> and I'm like, what is even happening? Poor Caesar's probably so confused by this point. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I have no idea what was happening there. I think Joseph eventually explains what's happening, right? He tells Caesar that. Susie Q's possessed by ACDC and that they would probably have to sacrifice her in order to to end the threat. And so Joseph steps up to the plate and is about to unleash this like flaming fist punch on her, right? But then he holds back at the last second um, because he thought ACDC would have flinched um, and gotten out of her body, but that wasn't the case. And so I think that's just an example of the gentlemanly Joe Star quality that we always see, even through this degenerate. Oh, I was gonna say I thought you were using no. degenerate as a descriptor, not no, as like a, this, a this noun. No, like this, this, this degenerate. Okay, okay. Well, yes, I Joseph agree. the degenerate. <laughs> yes, I agree, and it also kind of plays back into the previous fight with ACDC, where ACDC can read Joseph like a book because they both fight in a similar way. It's all a mental game, not a physical game. So here, ACDC knows that Joseph wouldn't punch her in the face, so he's like, "All right, dude, go ahead, do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna flinch." He called his bluff. And poor Susie Q the entire time, dude, she's getting fucked up by ACDC and can't do anything to stop it. I mean, she's getting like hot blood pumped out of her skin and he's like scratching her face with her fingernails. And I'm like, dude, go easy on her, man. Go easy on her. And I'm surprised that because, you know, early in this episode, they're playing up so much of Susie Q bonding with Joseph that at this point I was like, oh, Susie Q is just going to die and, that, and that's it. Um, so I'm surprised, you know, like obviously she, she survives, but with how much ACDC was just beating up her body that she just, even after he left, like she didn't end up dying from shock anyways, from like the trauma that her body was put through. I'm sure he intentionally kept her alive, like just enough damage to freak the, the group out, but not enough to kill her because once he kills her, then like, well, then what does he do? Right. He's got to find another body. To uh, have yeah, it. That's, that's so true. I think it was all just a, a facade because, again, it's all a mental battle with um, Joseph and ACDC. But I also think, too, like, you can't kill Suzy Q 
because then Holly will never be born. And if Holly's never born, then Jotaro's never born. Mm-hmm. And if Jotaro's never born, then we never get part three. So that's a ama- it's like a big, big plot hole right there. Yeah, so yeah, ACDC didn't want to mess with fate. Right? <laughs> we do see in this scene as well that um, Joseph and Caesar's training comes full circle when they, they band together to use two types of hamon, um, similar to the trick they used on the pillar. And I'm kind of like, is this an Iraqi forgot moment? Because, well, it's technically not because that came full circle from the pillar, um, like the oil pillar episode to this episode. But after this episode, do we ever see them use two types of hamon ever again? So I think they refer to this as the positive and negative hamon um, that they're using kind of in sync to force ACDC's brain out of her body. And I don't know if that what they meant is like from the training this is similar to the sticking or splitting hamon that caesar was doing right i think i think that's yeah that's what they're saying is like this is similar to what we did but they didn't call it plus and minus they they called it sticking and splitting, yeah like you said. i don't know if it's just a oversight on like the subtitles part or again if you know iraqi's he's been introducing all of these different hamon powers that he forgets the ones that are actually the same that are being used the same way in subsequent episodes um another thing i wanted to point out is like is this the first time that caesar and joseph are teaming up on a single enemy yes because technically um with the first fight against wamu it was caesar first and then joseph Yes, you're correct. Yeah, so it, I think it is technically the first time they're like full on teaming up, um, and again using something that they learned together when they were overcoming the was it the hell climb pillar or something? Yeah, the hell climb pillar. But yeah, they were both very in sync here, so it just shows how much their connection, their bond has grown. I also like that Lisa Lisa says like I'll I'll take care of it because both of them are hesitating to do anything to Susie Q because they didn't want to hurt her. Understandably. So Lisa Lisa's like, okay, I'll do it. But they ultimately end up doing it. The the two of them, you know, take on ACDC and she's fine with letting them do it because it's kind of like her trust in them has grown now that they've overcome all of their training and she knows that they can handle it. But also her bond with Susie Q is probably much stronger than the two of them. Even Caesar, who used to study under Lisa Lisa, I'm sure Lisa Lisa is closer to Susie Q and may have a harder time having to sacrifice her. Mm-hmm. And once they overcome ACDC's possession of Suzy Q, Caesar calls him scum for hurting her, hurting an innocent girl. Rebel scum. <laughs> and then Joseph quickly says, no, you're wrong. And he empathizes with ACDC, which was, I think, in character, but out of left field at the same time. Like, I was like, okay, the, like they didn't have a special bond. Like, in the future fight with against Wamu, Joseph and Wamu almost build a certain type of bond like it's weird to say when they're you know enemies but there is some sort of connection there right there's really no connection between joseph and acdc other than the fact that they both play the mental game but i didn't feel like a connection was made during their fight so it was just surprising um again in character but surprising that he empathized with acdc and you know kind of felt saddened by his death even though he was fucking up suzy q just a moment ago yeah, I think what this is meant to show is the end, Joseph's similarity to Jonathan, where he, Jonathan was showing his respect respect to Bruford, um, fighting for his honor in part one. And here we equate that with Joseph acknowledging that ACDC was only doing these things because he wanted to, to save his friends, which are the other two pillar men. Though 
Yeah, it's just weird because we know that Bruford wasn't inherently evil, right? It was just he was evil out of this effect that Dio had on him. Here, the Pillarmen are still in the wrong, yeah, right? Because they they want to destroy humanity and um, have this power of immortality on their own. So, as much as it's nice that Joseph's showing ACDC proper respect. Um, as he succumbs to death, yeah, it, it's just weird because ACDC is still inherently the wrongdoer in this case. Yeah, I think it's, um, again, that's why it's so odd to me that he does this versus when he does that with Wamu. Like, there's just something different about his, I don't want to call it like a relationship with Wamu, but his connection to Wamu versus, versus ACDC. Mm-hmm. Like, the whole AC, like ACDC... I don't know if I'd call him the slimiest of the Pillarmen because I think Cars is still worse. Um, but I, I, he's definitely second place. He's more of like the the lackey of the group. Yeah, like, kind of does what his his master's bidding is. And also, it's just weird that he would just have his brain leap out of the body and just succumb to his death right away. I think it's because he realized there was no he had no other last resort in trying to fight uh joseph and caesar but. oh i assumed it was him trying to take possession of joseph like he was leaping at him in, the, in an attempt to possess him which is why i think either caesar or lisa lisa called out to joseph like holy shit you're gonna get possessed but um but then like the sunlight kills him before he has a chance to do anything but earlier joseph mentions that acdc only possessed suzy q because she was not a hummon user True, but the only people left in the room are all right, exactly. users, so, so that's what I mean. Like, it, <laughs> like it's just, it's weird that he just jumps out and says, "Okay, fuck it, I'm gonna die." Um, but yeah, it's because there's no other person he can possess in the room that's not a hormone user. Yeah, like a last last ditch effort. Mm-hmm. After the battle, Lisa Lisa uses her hormone to tap into Susie Q's mind um, and gets her to reveal important info on where the stone is heading. And I think she also mentions that she uses Hamon to heal Suzy Q, at least like start to heal her wounds, um, who's not a not a Hamon user and therefore can't do that herself. Are these both new skills? I feel like we're getting introduced to a lot of new skills in, in this episode. I feel like the, the healing thing might have been something we've seen before. That's true. I right? guess with Jonathan, yeah. when he gets his Hamon skills, his broken arm like cracks back into place and the sound effects are there and everything. It's yeah. just, oof, okay. But it's the, the, the um, brain possession or whatever that feels like it's a new Hamon power. Again, out of just out of left field. I, I think... It's similar to how Jonathan was able to control someone's mind in okay, part yeah. one, uh, or control their body rather, like the the vampire. What was his name? Wang, Wang Chung. Wang Chung. Uh, and then Caesar did something similar, but by possessing that girl, and then I guess Joseph too with, with mm, the pigeon. Yeah. Um, I think it's in the same vein as that, but to actually read their minds is different and surprising. I think it's important that that Lisa Lisa has a set of skills that no one else has because she is a Hamon master. But I'm also like, can we see more of that? Because that's really fucking cool. And I think that's the only time we see it. Yeah. I can't recall if we ever see that power again um, in the later half of part two. But I guess technically she wasn't reading her mind. She was just putting Suzy Q in a state where Suzy Q was telling her whatever truths she had learned through ACDC possessing her. That's true. But even still, like that's that's an impressive power mm-hmm. to tap into someone's mind at all. And 
I, yeah, I just I think that that's another Iraqi forgot moment. Like he dropped this really cool skill to show us that Lisa Lisa has a whole other, you know, plethora of skills that no one else has because she's a Hamon master. But then never gives us anything more beyond that. And I, I've complained in the beginning of our Battle Tendency review that Lisa Lisa is my one of my favorite JoJo characters, and she's supposedly very very strong. And we only get snippets of her fighting. Mm-hmm. snippets like we get her going up against cars for like a hot second and then i think we also get her like w- like one-shotting a vampire when they're trying to you know make their way through the hotel the abandoned hotel in uh, switzerland and that's it and then we get like these other cool moments where like she has a cool skill that no one else has and we see an example of it but then that, that's it like nothing ever go no, nothing ever happens beyond that we never get more insight into that and i'd love to explore that because i think she's a cool character with a lot of potential yeah, I think it's more so like um, in service of the story because obviously the, the story of part two, it focuses on Joseph's journey and Lisa. Lisa is just the side character of that journey. And here's my Star Wars reference. I feel like she is kind of like the Obi-Wan. I might have mentioned this before, but like she's the Obi-Wan uh, of this series. If you were to look at this as like episode four, New Hope, where yeah, we, we, we know that these two characters have immense power but it's never showcased because again they're not they're not the focus of this story but that that's fair i i understand that but it's also um one of the things that is important to note about lisa lisa and joseph's relationship in the beginning is that he did not respect her as his sensei as his master when he first met her but it wasn't until he did the hell climb pillar and she helped him prove that he he you know, improved his skills significantly just by listening to her and, and doing this one thing. Um, and he got down on his knees and begged, like, please teach me. Like, I, I believe now. I believe. And I believe, I believe. <laughs> we need more of that, right? Like, it's one thing to tell mm-hmm. us that someone's strong. It's another thing to show us that someone's strong. And does Joseph ever see Lisa Lisa fight? Like, we don't see her fight. And I don't think he ever sees her fight. So how is he so convinced that she's the strongest person with Hamon? just because she got him to do the hell climb pillar and then he was able to hold water upside down in a glass because she gave him that death stare yeah. when he was climbing the pillar so he knew not to fuck with her and she had immense powers maybe they need an ova or like a prequel kind of like yeah. with star wars like the prequel trilogy because to me it's like joseph's a skeptical person he he always questions everyone he doesn't immediately show respect to people and i don't know like if i were him i'd be like can i see you in action like i know you've got knowledge but do you also have skills and then she would just give him the death stare (laughs) the mom death stare that's what that is like when your mom's pissed at you and you keep complaining and then she just looks at you like she's gonna kill you and then you stop immediately that's what that was Mm -hmm. because she's his mom so then the group goes to switzerland or they're chasing the train to switzerland um I'm not quite sure. And we get another really sweet moment between Joseph and Susie Q. And that's when, well, yeah, let me, let me back up really quick before that. So they're in the car, right? And Lisa Lisa foreshadows saying that they may have to break the law. And one of them may even have to lose their life in order to, you know, get the stone back from the pillar men. Come on, man. And I'm like, Spoilers, man. <laughs> I'm like, brah. And what's even more interesting, knowing what we know now, because the first time I watched this and probably even the second time it went over my head. But knowing what we know now, you have Joseph, who 
definite like it says in a definite way that it's not going to be him he's not going to die you have caesar who then responds saying um something about like i can't lose or something but he doesn't say he's not going to die and then you have messina who says some shit i don't know he's not that important (laughs) and then there's like a pause right and then lisa lisa calls out to caesar she says caesar and he's like okay and he starts the car like they're gonna start heading out right but I think it's more than just her like calling out to him as in like, hey, let's get going, Caesar. Like, let's do this thing. It's weird that she says Caesar after she says one of us is going to die. Like her next word, her next line is oh. Caesar. So I just could be overanalyzing this. Or maybe it's very clever writing on a Rocky or David Productions part um, that she just so happened to say after, you know, stating that bit of foreshadowing, um, you know, saying Caesar's name as the next thing out of her mouth. I never caught that. And again, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't intentional and, and it just conveniently unfolded that way. Um, but that scene definitely stuck out to me with uh, the knowledge that I've been cursed with having watched this already once. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was just a little bit of foreshadowing. And it's one of those things where, look, again, looking back, you notice it. And it's like, oh, the answer was there all along. It's kind of like how um, the name of the diner... I think we've talked about this. Maybe I haven't actually, because this was before we decided to go full on spoilers for the anime. Mm. Um, but I, I won't spoil anything for this one because it is like kind of future spoilers. But the name of the diner um, that Smokey and Joseph are at in one of the first episodes of Battle Tendency is a huge, I don't want to say like, it's not a spoiler, but it's like it plays very much into part six. Mm-hmm. And then I think when. I think it was when Joseph and Caesar fight the Pillarmen, and there's like a shot on the wall. Remember when we talked about this, and there was a butterfly on the wall? Yes, it was in the credits or something. Yeah, I was like, why the fuck is there a butterfly? And I'm like, oh, part six. I think this is like, I don't know if it's a Rocky or if it's David production, but yeah, they're always kind of dropping these little things. So that's why I feel like this whole thing with the, the car scene and their exchange may have been intentional just because of how they like to do drop these little Easter eggs, drop these little hints throughout the show. Mm -hmm. And then immediately after that, we have that cute moment between Joseph and Susie Q where Joseph has the car turned around and he promises her he'll be back for her when he comes back to Venice someday. And then he jokes that she might be an old hag by then. This is a great scene because between this and the previous flirtation scene, Susie Q, I think, is a perfect fit for Joseph because she's got a great sense of humor. And unlike a lot of the other women that we've seen Joseph interact with, she finds his brashness and his ridiculous personality charming. She doesn't get offended by what he says. And she actually has that little back and forth with him in both scenes. And so I think this is uh, another hint as to why they're a great fit and why they ultimately end up getting married. I think the way that I looked at it as well is it's just a nice gesture on Joseph's part to cheer up Suzy Q's spirits because you know, I think like Lisa Lisa like bids her goodbye and Susie Q just walks away solemnly because um, I'm sure she felt guilty for, you know, assisting their primary villain ACDC, although it was out of it was out of her control. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just Joseph trying to keep her keep her chin up and say you know, like promise her something to keep her hopes up. And luckily, it wasn't an empty promise because mm-hmm. I do like them together. They're a, they're a couple I certainly ship. And I did notice, too, again, knowing what we know now, um, after they have that little exchange, he makes the promise and they drive away. Joseph says something. I can't remember what it was. Something like, you know, 
I have to win this battle or some shit. I don't know. But then they zoom in very briefly into Lisa Lisa's face and she gives a small smile. She like goes, her eyes are oh, closed. She? she goes from like a solemn face and just has like a tiny little smile. And then it cuts to the next scene. It's super quick. But I noticed this, again, knowing what we know now, because she's probably happy to see Susie Q and Joseph flirting and, you know, having interest in each other because they're two very important people in her life, her son and her future daughter-in-law. So I think the first time I watched this, um, knowing that, you know, in part one, Jonathan succumbs to, to his death at the end of that, this whole thing was just like, oh, my God is this just foreshadowing Joseph's death again? Because the way I interpreted that last shot of Lisa Lisa, um, it, it zooms in on her, and it I interpreted it as like a very ominous look at Joseph. I didn't even notice that the, the sides of her mouth cracked a smile. I'm pretty sure they did. Now you're making me second guess, but I'm pretty sure like at the end of that zoom in, she like kind of has like a very tiny smile. Which is why I was like, oh, maybe she's just happy that, you know, mm. these two may get together. Yeah. Again, I thought it was like she knows that Joseph's fucked and she even implies that earlier because again, one of us may have to sacrifice life for the cause. So wait, so she smiles because her son might get <laughs> no, fucked up. Because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know she was smiling because, you know, her eyes look very like not sinister, but again, ominous. But I didn't notice that she had cracked a smile. Okay. I was like, damn. So, yeah, that's why, again, the first time that I watched this, it was like, okay, part two is going to end, and it's just Joseph dying again like like Jonathan did. So, it was kind of, <laughs> that was all where I was like, oh, it's going to be disappointing to see that again. But, like, thankfully, I continued watching the show, and obviously that's not the case at the very end. And on a similar note about things dying or not dying, in the next scene, we get history made by Araki. We see one of the only dogs that Araki doesn't kill in Jojo, and that's when Cars saves him from the drunk drivers. <laughs> you almost spit your coffee as I said this. <laughs> just remember, you know, it's just, just this cute little white dog who's like begging Cars for food, and then he's not giving it any attention, and then it walks away so like solemnly. <laughs> and then the car is like zooming down, and like the it looks like the dog is about to accept its fate. Oh, my God. But then, yeah, thankfully, you know, there's enough humanity in cars to save this little pup. <laughs> I just think it's like, I mean, if you know Jojo, you know it's a, a running joke or a meme that Araki, I don't know if he hates dogs, but he always kills off dogs in Jojo. And honestly, I can't think of any other dog that survives. I think this one might be the only one, but I guess when we go through future episodes, we'll we'll have a... A reminder um, on whether or not any of the other ones survive, but the vast majority of dogs in JoJo die. Yeah, I'm just glad this cute little puppy was spared. Yeah, because <laughs> some of the dogs in JoJo die some like pretty fucked up deaths, and they're all pretty. They're drawn really fucking ugly. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> um. So yes, and as dog people who have two corgis, if you don't know, Ein and Rigby, um, they're the uh, unofficial mascots of the Strictly series. We are very upset when Iraqi kills dogs, mm -hmm. as are most of the fans of JoJo, but it just comes with being a JoJo fan. The group finally catches up to the train, and there's some jackass honking at them from behind <laughs> while they're trying to have a conversation, and it keeps going for quite a bit, and then Joseph gets pissed off and yells at them, as he would, and fucking Stroheim is back, baby. I mean, they don't 
immediately reveal him, but mm-hmm. like it's Stroheim. We know it's Stroheim because the fucking title said it's <laughs> Stroheim. <laughs> and that aside, for whoever wasn't paying attention to this to the title, um, there is a shot of I think after the soldiers retrieve the stone, it's Stroheim has his back to the group. And he's talking to them, but you notice like his head is still silhouetted, but his right ear has like this sort of mechanical fitting on it Um, because it's not shaped like an ear. It's more of like a rounded plate or disc. And I think that's just, again, dropping a hint that Stroheim's made this return and he's in a sort of cyborg-like form, kind of like that character uh, Jack in Tekken, if you know what I'm talking about, the big... Yeah. The big beefy guy. Well, I also noticed too, um, as you're mentioning that, right before he gets out of the car, it like zooms in on him and he says something to Joseph and then he like takes his hand and kind of like clenches his hand around whatever that cane or umbrella is, the umbrella that is that he's holding and it makes like a little creak, like a creaky, creaky like robot sound. Yeah. Um, so that was another small hint that something was up with Stroheim. One question I did have with the scene is I think the narrator makes an interjection here's kind of going through like a quasi history of like why the german army wanted to look for this stone because it mentions like we've seen before like the german army was researching sort of the supernatural or paranormal abilities to to help in their cause against the world and that's the case here with the the power of the stone mask and having the stone of asia to aid their quest for a world domination but it's stroheim who is fighting against this right because he knows firsthand what this sort of power can do right i believe so yeah okay after santana fucked him up i think he realizes his mistake yeah but he's just bluffing as the commander to to take the stone for himself and then prevent like this power from being abused yes okay (laughs) (laughs) um so i guess i guess the narrator was just kind of throwing us off with that little interjection of history there i think it's just trying like they're trying to make that connection as to like why the germans give a shit about the red stone um and why they were so adamant about finding it and not only that but tracking joseph and caesar for three weeks or something they said Mm -hmm. um which is kind of creepy when you think about it because they're on an isolated island in italy and yet they were able to track all of their movements and they knew about acdc they knew about the training they knew about everything well italy was an axis power in world war ii so i'm That's sure true. yeah they gave the germans access to, to, <laughs> to lisa lisa's island yeah <laughs> island at Sabrina. least like yeah keeping surveillance on it i guess what's more of a mystery is how the fuck cars knows where the stone is and what happened to acdc like i get why stroheim knows because he's got that he's tapping into whatever it is that they've got surveilling them but how does cars find out and then stroheim even comments like oh you're a very impressive cars because in a matter of a few hours you not only found out that ACDC was killed, but you were able to track us all the way here. And I'm like, yeah, how? Like, how did that happen? It's another, like, plot, not, like, plot hole, but, like, JoJo logic, I think. Yeah, because the train was, like, ACDC put the stone on the train knowing it was heading to Switzerland, right? Yes. So, like, why Switzerland of all places? Because Wamu's there at the hotel. But I guess, like, why would the pillarman go to switzerland first you know what i mean true uh, whatever the reason why it's like why wouldn't cars just go to switzerland assuming that the stone's gonna make it there but instead he deviates somehow knowing that the germans intercepted the the stone and took it to some abandoned hotel or lodging or something 
don't know the mm. whole again like the whole episode just has like these these questions that are not answered at all like they don't even attempt to try and answer this stuff they just tell you it is the way it is yeah. and you just have to accept it i mean maybe it's because you know with cars being a, a pillar man he has this omniscient like knowledge of what's going on and so he just just like he assumes what the situation is and just heads over yeah i'll i'll take that <laughs> that's fine it's, it's a better explanation <laughs> than the no explanation we got in this episode mm-hmm. i think another thing too is like another potential a rocky forgot moment is this heat reading ability that cars shows when he is looking into the building before he like kills the the german soldiers which by the way i like how it shows the shots of like the slaughtered soldiers and you see one where i think cars sliced off the top of their head and put it on someone else's head yeah it like flew across (laughs) the room or whatever it was like very artsy (laughs) um but like do we ever see that ability again i don't recall seeing it again but like maybe i'm just not remembering and also stroheim's still alive so he would have a heat signature yeah it's like his his heart is still there it's still pumping blood unless like it's so low on the scale that cars can't read it but yes you're correct like there should be some i mean mm-hmm. he can read that there's heat coming off of the light bulbs and the obviously the fire's hot but like the light bulbs right so why wouldn't you be able to like read anything off of stroheim yeah but whatever <laughs> <laughs> it's jojo logic okay it's like mm-hmm. half a rocky forgot half jojo logic the most important thing is that Stroheim is back and I can't wait for the next episode because I think I talked about this previously like um, Stroheim is one of my favorite characters from part two and there's a particular scene of his that I really love in this part and I think it's in the next episode. I actually don't really re- so I remember the next episode but not very well. All I know is that they're like trying to keep the stone away from cars and then they fall off a cliff and then there's this long, long, long impossible fall that happens similar <laughs> to Dio and Jonathan when they fall down the the like chimney or like the yeah, the, the tower yeah. in Jonathan's home. Um and that's all I remember. So I'm I'm excited to watch it just because this one's a little bit faded from my memory. And with all that said, what are your final thoughts on this episode's spoiler title, Von Stroheim's Revenge? Oh, the turns of table. <laughs> Usually <laughs> I'm the one who introduces final thoughts. But yeah, I guess for me with this episode, it was, first off, it was a strange and weird final bow. Was it a AC. bizarre Ooh, bow? Yeah, it was a <laughs> bizarre bow for ACDC. Although I understand that, you know, his, his last, effort to stop the Hamon heroes was meant to throw a wrench in their plans with using the the super Aja. and all that aside like even though this is technically a fight it was just a lot of talking and standing around but again i think the point was for acdc to distract the three so that the, the train could keep moving on without them interrupting it um and like I said, although the, the, the episode title kind of spoiled it for everyone, I still can't wait to see my boy Stroheim ready to rip shit up again. So that's something that I will most look forward to in the next episode. But what did you think about this episode? I thought it was pretty good. Um, I would say action-wise, I mean, there's little to none. As you mentioned, there is a battle, but it's mostly just talking and strategizing. Um, I think the best parts about this episode um, are the character moments, specifically between Joseph and Susie Q, because mm-hmm. this is all we really get about their relationship um, until the end when they get married. 
but it's great like it's it's a, a wonderful um bit of insight that we get as the audience to see joseph like actually care about a girl um versus just flirting with her and just kind of being the the brash guy that he is and then seeing a girl who's not off put by his personality and actually finds it endearing and charming and then i think I think what I don't like about this episode is the potential wasted um, with Lisa Lisa. I mean, if she had just wrapped that goddamn towel around her body, mm. she would have whooped ACDC's ass in like two seconds. And even if she didn't do that, she reads Susie Q's mind and heals her. But like we get probably a minute of that at most. So there was so much that Lisa Lisa could have done in this episode, but she doesn't do. And I'm, I'm saddened by that. But on the flip side, it does make room for Joseph and Caesar to finally work together in order to defeat an enemy and kind of showcase their their new abilities um, or the new level of their abilities after all of the training that they've gone through. So this is an episode that I could take or leave, um, but I still do enjoy just because of like the actual character moments we got. Yeah. And I think from this point on, there's only eight episodes left in the part. Eight episodes. So I think technically we're entering the final arc. Yeah, the final right. like battle. I mean, it's like a two-parter with Wamu and Cars, but yeah, it's pretty much the, the final arc of Battle Tendency. So yeah, get excited, folks. Get hype. I can't believe that. That's crazy. We've already um almost made our way through the technical first season of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah. It, and it's been almost like a, a year of that. <laughs> yeah. So. I think based on our schedule and the fact that we do um, Strictly JoJo episodes bi-weekly every other week, we should probably wrap up Battle Tendency by the end of 2021. So look forward to some uh, some different kind of episodes. I'm thinking like maybe before we dive into part three, we can we can have like a fun little, I don't know, look back or some kind of unique episode um no like spoilers or anything but we're hoping to have some guests on our podcast soon to talk about all things jojo so yeah i think with uh with the end of part two we'll also bring some new fun things for our podcast and that wraps up episode 18 of strictly jojo if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show then head over to patreon.com slash the strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other monday Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued. More Oedipus clump. It's a perfect... Flex. What? <laughs> Sorry. What did you just say? I was just gonna, <laughs> hold on. <laughs>